You may be seated. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for the scripture reading. As you are opening your pew Bibles and looking at the Word, I will read the first uh, few verses here. First 13 verses. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it, that you might fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your son's son, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, And that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the post of your house and on your gates. And it shall be, when the Lord your God shall have brought you into the land which He sware unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, To give you great and good cities which you didn't build. And houses full of good things which you did not fill. And water wells that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you shall have eaten and are full, then beware. Lest you forget the Lord which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and swear by His name. Let us pray. Father, we come before You, Lord, as we close out this series of families on a generational vision for our families. I pray, Lord, that You would just bless the words and this teaching that we have done to inspire everyone here to have a bigger picture than just their life. Pray, Father, that you would help them to see beyond their life into the lives of their children and their children's children that what they do and how they live and how they worship will affect the coming generations. So, Lord, bless us to be obedient to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, the title of this message is Family Worship. Now, I'm grateful that Titus dove right into this last week. He calls it Family Devotions. But I uh, had wanted to wrap up this series talking about family worship. Because I think it's such an important part of who we are as the church of God called out of the world. It's something that's very distinct that separates us. Um, My heart in doing these messages has been that 
God shared this vision with me through His Word years ago after I was born of the Spirit. And I can see that even though we have not been perfect in trying to follow this vision, that we have still followed it, that God has blessed it. He has blessed it in my life and my family's life and continues to do so in my grandchildren, even though that did not exist prior to this generation. Uh, my mother was really the one that kicked that off in my life. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. Really, my heart, I was reading Psalm 71 this week, and this verse right here in Psalm 71. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed your strength unto this generation and your power to everyone that is to come. And as you start thinking about this, this is you start seeing this everywhere. In fact, he just read it, the last verse in the psalm. Psalms 45, 17. Think about it. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. That's Jesus Christ's name. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, shall the people praise thee forever and ever. And that forever and ever praise begins here with us. And we are building that into generations to continue that praise forever and ever. And that's the vision I want you to say. You're part of something big and wonderful and glorious. And I want to inspire you to that end as we finish this today. And also that everyone here is part of that vision. Everyone in God's church is part of that vision. And that vision is about Christ. Christ is the vision. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And it is Christ that said in John 5.46, He said, If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And where are we? And we're in Deuteronomy, in the book of Moses. Jesus Christ's favorite book to quote from in the New Testament. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses is a type of Christ. He is atypical. He's a picture of Christ, a shadow of Christ, because Moses is the mediator who's standing between Israel and God. And there are times when God comes down and He's angry with Israel and said, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'll start over with you, Moses. Moses stands between Israel and God and says, No, Lord. No, don't do that. For your own honor and your own name and your own glory. And we see that again and again. Now, Moses is the mediator. And now throughout Deuteronomy here, he keeps reminding us again and again about this great mediator. Moses himself would say there's going to come another prophet like unto me that's going to stand up, that's going to live forever. He's the one you should look for. And, uh, and Moses teaches us again and again that there are positive consequences and negative consequences. And again, warns them again and again. He says, if you don't obey me, you're going to be cursed and cut off. He goes through in Deuteronomy all the blessings and the cursings. And you see the repetition again and again in Deuteronomy. As Moses' heart, which is the heart of Christ is pleading with Israel in this generation saying, okay, you're the next generation 40 years later. It's up to you now to take this mantle and carry it forward into the land of Canaan. So also for you children in this room, you are the next generation. 
And we are giving you the mantle of Christ to carry Christ to your kids and for the generations that will come. We need to understand that this Christ is the one who loves us enough to tell us hard things. And so in family worship, as we come and have our devotions as much as we can during the week, that we tell our kids, those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. And those that believe not shall be damned. We tell our kids hard things because that's what Christ said to us. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, they will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we, the divine trinity, will come and make their home with you. Their abode with you. They will dwell with you. And you will have joy and peace and wisdom and respect in this world. Even Moses said to Israel back then that God would put the fear of the the nations would fear them because of this power of God in their life. And so today as we talk about family worship, the main point is this, that you... You must keep God's written word in the center of your family life. Because God communicates himself through word and spirit. You must keep God's written word in the center of your life. And that's what this text is teaching us here in Deuteronomy. From the time we get up to the time we go to bed. And picking up today, he says you'll bind these words for a sign upon your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you'll write them on the post of your house and on your gates. The word is ever before us all the time. This is the eternal, inerrant word of God. This is the very word that is eternal. That when we read this word and hear this word, it's having an effect upon us. And if you be in Christ, you will keep God's written word. Those of you who know Christ, you love His word. And you love to read His word. That's why when I say, take your pew Bibles out and read it, there's something that happens when you're looking at the word at the same time that it's being read. That's what we do in family worship too. We think about the word. We have it in front of us. And so in keeping God's word central, there's an important principle I would just like to start out with you and lay down. When God said, thou shalt have no graven images before me, there is something fundamental at the heart of that that is important for us and why family worship is important to keep the word in front of us all the time. God wanted no other medium of communication to communicate who He was to you other than the written Word. He did not want any image to communicate anything about Him to you. And today we have not just images, but moving images. God said, Thou shalt have no other images before Me. That's not the way God communicates Himself to you. 
God communicates Himself to you through Word. You were designed to think the most deeply and to enjoy the deepest pleasures through reading. This God can only be discovered through deep thinking and meditation on Word. The world system today, under the prince of the power of the air, has successfully moved the world to a place where word is being diminished. Right? Cliff notes, videos, tweets, everything is being diminished around word and reading. I read a book a few years ago called The Gutenberg Elegies where this professor was lamenting this very fact that his college students were coming to classes and they were not reading and were not well read and had difficulty understanding the classics and were falling back on cliff notes. And so he goes through this detailed essay of talking about the joy of reading, how wonderful it is and what's going on in your mind and this dynamic of reading that cannot be replaced any other way. And even the research that we looked at in the book we went through with the youth group talked about how when we read books on electronic devices is different than hard copy. Or something different. We skim it more. We don't go as deep with the electronic reading as we do with a real book in our hands. And so this family worship and these texts is about God's word always being in front of us. That's how he communicates to us through his spirit and his word. As I was thinking about this and uh, there's a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. The title's great just by itself. But he goes through and talks about how the devices that we use for communication shape the message that comes out of it. And his illustration that he uses is television. And he talks about how before television in the realm of politics, that it was about ideas. You heard politicians speak on the radio and you heard their words or you read in the newspaper their ideas and you went deep about thinking about ideas and the consequences of ideas and policies. But once TV came out, now it's about who's the best looking gets elected most of the time. We can't say that for the last couple of elections, but but if you look at uh, research that's been done globally, generally the people who have the best appearance on TV, and not just that, but TV is an entertainment device, and everything that comes through that medium comes through as entertainment. Is that not true? What about televangelists? They're just entertainers. Politics has become entertainment. News has become entertainment. Whatever gets the most clicks and appeals the most is what they're going to shift to. Even this week in the great tragedy in Nashville, another story pops and you don't hear about that other one anymore. And so as we think deeply about communication and about word and these devices in our current age and family worship, we must keep coming back to word ever before us. The Word of God, the Word of Truth will keep us from this onslaught of propaganda and lies in the world today.
Looking at one statistic related to just reading. There are 43 million adults in America who have low reading abilities. Americans between the ages of 15 and 44, look at the age group there. Americans between the ages of 15 and 44 only spend 10 minutes or less of their day reading books. In 2018, 27% of American adults didn't read a book at all. But on the other hand, the positive effects of just reading and not necessarily the Word of God, six extra minutes every day of reading has the potential to increase the reading performance of children. Just six minutes a day can improve their reading capability. And if they're reading 20 minutes a day, they'll be exposed to two million words annually which relates into better decision-making and better career prospects just by reading. And we live in an age that is, and, and we're prone to laziness, that leads us to moving away from this great gift of God to be able to read. And God communicates Himself. You shall have no images. My Word is how I communicate Myself to you. So in family worship, we are able to keep the Word in front of us to live in this present evil world. So words are important, aren't they? God spoke a Word and created. He spoke a Word and created you. God gave you the ability to speak words. And words are powerful. They can edify or tear down. Jesus Christ is the Word. He is the Word made flesh. And He spoke creation into existence. And the way that we can keep God's written Word in the center of our life and our family life is through family devotions, through family worship. And so picking up in verse 9... Let's talk about family worship and devotions. And you shall write them upon the post of your house and on your gates. Now back then, they didn't have a printing press yet, right? It was when? 1500s before we had the printing press. And so they would take snippets of Scripture and they would write this and put it, write it up on their house, post it on the post of their gates. I know the Pharisees had these strange looking things that they would put the Word of God and hang on these things out by their eyes, frontlets by their eyes. And all of that was to try to keep the Word in front of them at all times. They did have a reverence for the Word. They did. And it became distorted over time. And those things became just for show. But they did. Israel had a great reverence for God's Word. And so through family worship, we have great advantages. We've got a lot of tools, don't we, to be able to do this. We have the written word and printing presses. And whenever you pause at the throne of grace daily as a family, you are helping to keep your desire focused. God made you with the ability to desire. And that desire, properly placed, results in great joy and pleasure. But because of the fall, these desires leak out to the things of the world, to easy things. 
because we are too easily satisfied. The family daily worship will help us keep our desire focused in the right direction. If you got a compass, a compass has a, uh, a little dial on there, right? And it's drawn towards true north because of magnetic fields. And Jesus Christ is our true north. And through family worship, we daily can make sure we're heading the right direction. That our desires are headed north. If you bring another magnet close to a compass, what happens? You'll start seeing the needle spin around. And you'll start seeing it move off of true north. You can take that magnet and you can change the direction. There are powerful forces in this world, spiritual forces, unseen forces, and the present sin nature in you that will cause your true north to get distorted from time to time. And one of the great things that we teach our children is that reality and that truth in our family devotions. We must teach them Romans 7 is a reality for a born-again person. There are times that leprosy, the sin, breaks out in our heart that we do things we hate. And yet, if we hate it and we do love the Word of God, that is the evidence we're born of the Spirit. And so family worship is a great way to command our children and our household after God, like Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. God said this about Abraham, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abram that which he has spoken of him. And so the commanding, the keeping, and the doing there results in blessings from God. We also see in the New Testament, in the Corinthians 16, 19, in various places in Acts, we read of houses in church, uh, churches in houses. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord, and the church that is in their house. Isn't that great? This married couple had a church in their house. Well, so do you. You treat your family like a little church. A little church within the context of the bigger church. A place where you also can worship the Lord in your house. We also have that great declaration of Joshua 24.15. This is on the wall in my house that I have written up on the post of the gates coming into my house. Or somewhere in the house. It moves around from time to time. Um, but Joshua 24.15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, you choose who you're going to serve whether the gods of your fathers served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That means there's a time where we're going to turn things off and sit down and serve the Lord in our house. Richard Baxter was a pastor that lived back in the 1600s and he had a, a big book that he wrote where he, he dealt a lot with family government, the Puritans would call it. How to structure the families. And he dealt with family worship within this uh, book. And he talked much about 
the time that he would spend in home visits and instructing families around the importance of this family worship. And so seriously did Richard Baxter and the other pastors of the 1600s take family worship that they regarded the neglect of family worship and catechism of the children to be covenant-breaking with God and betraying of their souls to the devil. That's serious. They, they took this very seriously, that it's important that every day we pause and give thanks. Every day we come together as a family, we talk about, God, what was God doing in your life today? What did you learn today? Did your emotions get out of whack today at any time? Did you get upset? Did you get angry? What did you learn about your own heart whenever that happened? And we get the opportunity every day to sit down and we're doing counseling. We're doing teaching. We're teaching the Word. We're helping each other how to love and to govern our passions, to govern our hearts and our desires. A few years ago, uh, there was uh, the Barna Group. They do these studies and uh, they found this statistic that three out of every four children from Christian homes in America will walk away from the faith soon after they leave high school. Three out of four, 75%. And I've seen that in other places and there's a couple of things that are important there at high school. That's, that's because government education is preparing them for that. But that is still a, a frightening statistic, isn't, isn't it? To think about. And so family worship is where we are centering everything, including the education of our children, around the Word of God. Around the Word of God. If children grow up learning and accepting something uh, different about the Christian faith through a competing educational system, that's going to cause problems, or could cause problems. Uh, one of the things that I lament about my own experience of coming up through government education is that intrinsic in government education, or part of the model, is that Monday through Friday, you're being taught information without God in it. And God's only for Sundays. That's just not true. That's just not true. Um, education and worship are working together. And Christ is the center of wisdom and knowledge. And making family devotion and the word central is a way that we are helping our children to grow in knowledge and wisdom of Christ. Just think about it. Uh, Colossians 2.3 says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, speaking of Christ. If Christ is the center of all wisdom and knowledge, and you take the kids in a classroom and you say, open up your books, and then turn the light off and say, now I want you to learn. Well, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? What do, you, what do you mean? You want me to learn without the light? That's what we're doing in government education, when we send kids in there and say, take Christ out, take the light of the world out, and expect them to be able to learn. Well, learning is not what's happening. It's turned into social engineering and a manipulation of minds. 
Reading the Word is important. We've got so much, so many helps today. Uh, recently, there was Jack forwarded something out related to singing at home and having a hymnal at home by Sinclair Ferguson, I think. You got a hymnal at home? Singing these songs over our kids is important. Singing these together. That's what churches do and churches in our homes do. We read of the benefit of that. Uh, there in Colossians where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you are singing and admonishing one another with words, songs, and hymns, and spiritual songs. There's something wonderful about that. Even in an unbelieving world, in the old nursery rhymes, they sang those to the kids because they knew the song would stick it in their brain. So we have this great tool and opportunity to express the joy around this doctrine and the Word of God as we sing together as families. But I would say central again to this family worship is the reading of the Word. Even in worship here, as Paul is instructing Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 13-16, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading. First thing he mentions, what? Reading. Reading the Word out loud. That's why we have this central portion of reading a psalm here in this service. Because reading the Word out loud is central to worship. Till I come, give attendance to reading. And then fathers, you pick this up. Mothers, you pick this up right there. You read it. Then you exhort to exhortation, to doctrine. And then on down it says... uh, Take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them regularly, daily. Continue in this doctrine and this reading. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and those that hear you. Isn't that a great promise? That we, and we know Christ is a Savior, but God is saying, here's the means that I'm working in your life for salvation to the end. Reading Word. Reading Word. So this Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, where it says, you know, you raise them up in the morning, get up during the day, walking by the way, laying down at night, that shattered our worldview that we had at the time in my family around everything. It turned the whole family, I, I like to say, upside right, upside down. And the things that I once thought were crazy, we'd met a homeschool family in the church And we just, these people are strange. And yet they became our best friends later. As we started to realize what they were doing was what God had called us to do. Because we wanted the word to be central in the education in every part of the day. You see this long term vision here is a vision, a generational vision, really shatters the worldview in many ways that uh, the church gets attacked over. Women and careers. Women leaving the first calling and letting other people raise their kids and educate their kids. There's many things that... this, This book shatters that and says, eternity is more important than becoming an executive for a sugar water campaign of selling soda pop or whatever. This is critical. It's important. 
And there is great value. And you will be fulfilled when you follow God's ways and not the world's ways. And the way that we maintain God's truth in families and how families operate and roles of men and women is through family worship. It's through family worship. And so we are teaching them a holistic Christ. That Christ is part of everything in our family worship. We don't separate him out of our education. We don't separate him out of our jobs. He's part of everything. Our family life. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Our life is a joyful expression of what it means to be in Christ and to know him and to walk with him. This is the way we go and the way we teach. We raise them up in the way that they should go, right? And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And so as the Spirit of Christ, through the mediator, is speaking here in Deuteronomy, saying, Moses, next generation's here, let's get them ready. Then we follow that principle and we do the same thing. And we give our lives in devotion to Him as we seek to make this Word central to our lives, on our doorpost. Post, always in front of our eyes. And even there in that picture of doorpost in Deuteronomy, the Passover, we want Christ's blood to be seen on our doorpost. That we have the blood of Christ on us. And God's wrath is passing us by. And we have great joy and rejoicing because of that. We have been called out of this world And God has had mercy on us. The second thing to look at in family worship is how we respond to God's mercies. In verse 10, he says, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought you into the land which he sware unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you didn't build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, and wells which you didn't dig, Vineyards, olive trees, which you didn't plant, when you shall have eaten and be full. So here we see God is of great mercy, isn't he? He's given them everything they need. Did you have to build the cities here? I mean, go back and read about that first winter in pilgrims up there in Plymouth Plantation when many of those pilgrims who came over to Massachusetts died in that first winter. And all of the difficulties and the hardships that those settlers who came to this land had to deal with to establish what we now just take for granted and complain when there's a pothole. Why can't they get that pothole fixed, right? Or something else. Or the electricity goes out. All of those things are benefits that we have, mercies that we have. And there can be a couple of responses to that. One response is we worship. At the end of the day, we come together and say, kids, think about this. we got a refrigerator full of food. Hallelujah. Didn't have to go out and gut a hog today. Or didn't go hunt, had to go hunting just so we could eat today. We've got so many mercies today. The other response to God's mercies can be that we forget. Can be that we forget God, which he mentions here as well. Just to mention about God's mercies again by looking at another study related to income and living in a time. We, we've got an a economic system in place that we benefit, benefit from now that hadn't always been there. 
And one study says that people who are middle income globally live on 10 to 20 dollars a day. I went out and ate and spent more than that in one meal. Which translates to an annual income of 14 to 30,000 for a family of four. They're calling that middle income globally. The other four income groups, the poor live on $2 or less daily. That would probably be like our brothers and sisters in Africa, living off of $2 a day. And then others living around on $50 a day. So in percentage terms, 17% of the global population could be considered middle income in 2020. Most people were either low income, 51% of the global population, two bucks a day. While nearly 15% live on upper middle income standard and 7% were high income. So I think we would fall in that high income category, most of us, even if you're on Social Security, you're pretty much pushing that envelope of being in the in that range. And so what mercies we have that we're in this land where all this stuff is established. We've got much to be thankful for. Don't we? We have houses full of good things which we didn't fill. We've got a water system, wells we didn't have to dig. We can go over to farms that we didn't have to plant and buy produce from them or go to the grocery store. Doesn't... Shouldn't that inspire family worship and devotion in the evenings? Lord, thank you for air conditioning in a hot summer. hundred years ago, there wasn't air conditioning. We've got a bathroom in the house. Isn't that wonderful? You used to have to go outside in the middle of the night. So we have great mercies that are upon us. And the Spirit of Christ is speaking to us saying, remember, God has given you great mercies. This should drive us to keep the Word centered in our lives. Even in Deuteronomy 7, we see this uh, repeated. A couple of chapters later, he says, Wherefore it shall come to pass if you listen to these judgments, keep and do them. The Lord your God will keep unto you the covenant and the mercy which He swore unto your fathers. And He will love you. He will bless you. He will multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb. Isn't that great? He'll love you, bless you. Bless the fruit of your womb. Your corn and wine and oil will increase. The flocks of your sheep will increase. And He'll give you everything that He has promised. What, what a great promise to have from Him that those that oh, listen and obey. So we must be reminded of these things. And family worship is a great time to come and to consider the great mercies that God has had upon us. And then he moves to the warning, which is also repeated in Deuteronomy 8. He said, when you've eaten or full, beware that you forget the Lord. And this is the other response that having all this mercy can have because of our sinful nature. The old Adam that still is within us. That all of these blessings 
can become sin to us. And so we must be on our guard. That's why we daily need to have the Word in front of us. Here in uh, Deuteronomy 8, he would say this. He said, Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God, and your, your heart gets lifted up. And you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Well, I'm just pretty good at the stock market. Well, I'm doing pretty good at work. But you shall remember, 8.18, it is the Lord your God that gives you power to get wealth. And what is the purpose behind Him giving you money and wealth? That He may establish His covenant with you which He swore unto His fathers as it is this day. And he, and he goes on and says, if you forget me, you're going to be destroyed. So God's mercy inspires us to keep His Word. And our family worship is a way for us to come back daily and remember those mercies and the warnings also. Which is our final point. We must be warned and we must heed the warnings. Family worship keeps us from forgetting. Family worship keeps us from forgetting. Then beware. Deuteronomy 6.12 Then beware. Lest you forget the Lord which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. We are forgetful. What is the Lord's command to come to the Lord's table? Do this in remembrance of me. We're prone to forget. We need to remember the broken body and the blood poured out regularly. We need to remember because we're prone to forget. Psalms 9.17 The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. It seems that this nation has forgotten, forgotten God. Our institutions are doing everything they can to forget God and to remove Him. And the end of this nation will be turned into hell. And Psalm 78, 7. He's encouraging the people here to keep their, set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. Not forget. We're prone to forgetfulness. Psalms 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. We are loaded down with benefits. Benefits that are greater than health benefits. And dental benefits, these are the greatest benefits. These are eternal benefits. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all His benefits. What about all the pleadings in Proverbs? The Spirit pleading. My son. 3.1 My son, forget not my law. But let your heart keep my commandments. That's how we speak to our children. The Proverbs is the great book of family worship. 
we got some books here. Titus recommended for families to use in family worship that are in the office if you didn't get one. I gave a book out to men a few years ago called Family Worship by uh, J.W. Alexander. I gave that to you all at the same time of the book about raising modern day knights. That book will inspire you to keep family worship. So why all of this preaching of the Spirit of Christ throughout Proverbs and Psalms about not forgetting? Because we're prone to forget and take credit. We're prone to forget and to take credit for what's happening in our life. There is a principle that is taught here that says, Beware when you have eaten and are full. Fullness leads to forgetting. Overconsumption of anything deadens the spiritual senses and makes you lazy and lethargic. This warning is given in many places in the scriptures, and family worship will help you remember this warning. In Ezekiel 16:49, if we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we would say we live in a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah where less than 10% of the population is driving much public policy to But we learned that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is not exactly what we thought it was. It wasn't the root sin. In Ezekiel 16:49, the prophet tells us what the root sin was. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Pride was the root sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And following right behind it was fullness of bread. Overeating. Fullness of bread. This leads to a... Again, a deadening of your spiritual senses. You're clogging the pipes. Jonathan Edwards as a preacher experimented with his diet because he was given to study. He loved the Word. He was central to the Word. And I've mentioned this before, but I think it's a great model for us. He found out which foods would least inhibit his thinking so that he could be the most productive in the study. So he would... Eat a plate of all vegetables, one meal, and maybe all meat the next. He just, you know, he did some experiments and figured out what was the diet that was optimal. I, in my own experience, God has given me a thorn in the flesh that if I didn't have it, I know that I wouldn't be able to control my diet quite as well as I do. Uh, because when you eat to a certain point and it starts causing pain, you know, that's a good affliction to have. I'm grateful for it. I've learned to thank Him for that, that I have to remember I also know also in my own experience that it that this is an ebb and flow in my discipline in my walk. I, I do real good for a while and then I slip and I slip and I slip and then I've got to completely do a reset from time to time. And uh, I know families here that have done fast together and the different things like that. I think those are all good things to think about. Uh, there's so much information we have today about food and science and nutrition We've got a lot of responsibility because we have that information about how we can do a good job of being stewards of these bodies and how we can keep 
this fullness of bread, causing us to forget the great mercy that God has on us. The Spirit of Christ speaking to us in Proverbs 23 says this, When you sit to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you be a person given to appetite. Don't be desirous of dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle toward heaven. It's a principle here that while we live in the world, in America, we're sitting at king's table daily. There is a principle there of sober thinking whereby we keep a knife to our throat and say, Lord, thank you for this food. Help me to beware of my appetite. The principle there in Ezekiel is whenever the people of Sodom and Gomorrah became filled with pride and started overeating, that when you can't control your bodily appetite, your stomach, you can't control your other appetites either. I can tell you that's true for me. Is that the more disciplined I am in my appetite of my stomach, the more I can keep my other appetites where they're supposed to be. And so that's the principle before us. Beware, lest when you are eaten and are full, lest you forget God, lest you give way to sensual pleasures, Unless you become consumed with the things of this world. We can overeat anything. You can overeat TV. You can overeat books. Anything that you're overconsuming can have a spiritually deadening effect if what you're consuming, you're not taking that with that desire of your compass and keeping it headed north. Everything for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink whatsoever you have. All things for the glory of God. Family worship helps us to remember that and that every pleasure we enjoy in this time of prosperity and abundance must be enjoyed with a knife to our throat, which means sober-minded, carefully, in moderation, with restraint, thankfulness as a born-again believer, Realizing that the same mercies God gives us can also bring forth murmuring and complaining. Man, this drive through line is taking too long. Ouch. Bodhi would say if you can't say amen, you should say ouch, right? The same mercies that bring forth murmuring and complaining or may bring forth praise and worship. But isn't it great in our forgetfulness that God never forgets? Isn't that great? Hebrews 6.10 God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Even as you take a step forward and two steps back sometimes. Halting, sometimes falling, but getting back up again. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love which you have showed toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He doesn't forget. All your tears and weeping in this day, this night of this time that we live in, he's putting them in his bottle. He remembers. 
He remembers every tear, every yearning, every longing. Every tear for your children. All the efforts that you're pouring forth into their lives. He remembers. And the springs, finally the last point is in verse 13. The springs of family worship are the holy fear of God. And we spend a lot of time on that holy fear of God. Just a couple of reminders. There's three things in verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, serve Him, and swear by His name. So fear means you keep God big and people small. When you fear people, you give them power over your emotions and your life that they don't have. You're making them bigger than God. You're giving them the attributes of God. So keep God big and people small. We are to live quorum Deo. That means before the face of God. To live in the fear of God means that we realize that His eyes run to and fro throughout the earth and that He's always here. He's always with us. And to one that loves Him, that delights us. We're glad Daddy's watching. You know when you see the child on the back, the bicycle for the first time riding and hollering, Mama, watch me. Mama, watch me. They love to have the one they love watching them. Don't we love to have Him watching us too? And always remembering that He's there, present with us to help keep us from sin and also keep us in the right way. He says, I will guide them with my eye. That kind of intimacy. We're to serve Him. Your desire, this God-given desire that I talked about in the beginning, you're going to use it to serve somebody. You're either going to serve your lust or you're going to serve God. And the Christian life is a battle to serve God. And there's going to be ups and downs in that. But your compass is always going to be headed north. To swear. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, serve Him, and shall swear by His name. Swear there means to seven oneself. Isn't that interesting? To bind some yourself to something with seven cords. It means to swear seven times. So it's a serious swearing. Once have I made a covenant with my chosen, I have sworn unto David my servant. That word is used there. Swear. So you must keep God's written word in the center of your family life because God's only communication of Himself is through word. That is where He comes to us. As we sit around our family worship, as we sit at home at night, if it's just you, when you got the Bible there, He's there. And it's through that Word that He is communicating to us. And so we write these words, we keep these words, we teach these words, we love these words. We don't replace these words with images. I've always had a problem with the Jesus film. I've always had a problem with evangelizing using a film. It's to be the Word of God and preachers sent. Jesus Christ feared the Lord. He served the Lord. He swore by His name so that you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind in His Word. We can't do this on our own. In fact, I have to just tell you, parents, 
we got to come to the place where we say, I don't know how to be a parent. We got to come to this place of humility where we say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I just really don't. And I need your help. Would you show me in your word how to do it? Show me how to get better. I know I'm not the best parent, but I know love covers a multitude of sins. I know that it's through broken vessels that the light shines through. So Lord, help me to live that way. So I ask you, what does your family look like right now after we've come through these six messages on a generational vision for your family? In a world that is an expert at getting you to conform, you're going to need a strategy to transform. So I, I believe it begins with a simple thing called family worship. And when we do that in our homes, it makes this worship even sweeter. It'll make it even sweeter. Well, eternity's at stake. I hope that you have a vision now of thousands of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren being raised up in the years to come to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. To call Him blessed. And I know that this can be a little overwhelming in the world we live in. Do you feel overwhelmed yet? When eternity is at stake and you have eternal souls? Everything's on the line? You know, we hear that in sports, right? The big game, tomorrow night, everything's on the line. Daily, brothers and sisters, everything's on the line. In a sense, there are consequences, pro and con, to obedience and disobedience. But if you're feeling overwhelmed, I would say that's a good place. Because Christ was overwhelmed with your sin on Calvary. And He was forsaken for you. So that by faith, you can obey His words. And you can reap the benefits of the blessings that come from His words and His sacrifice for a thousand generations.